We need to make uh, one more announcement. Uh, that next week, we'll be having a baptismal service. And uh, we're going to be celebrating what we were just talking about in prayer, that somebody was dead in their sin, and now they're alive in Christ. And uh, one of the ways that we uh, show that in the church is through baptism, that we are buried in Christ and we come back a new creation. And so baptism is a way for us to express uh, what Christ has done in our life. And if uh, if you've never been baptized and that's something that you would like to do, uh, you can talk with me or uh, Cindy um, about that. And uh, we would like to uh, uh, help you in that process and we would love uh, for you to be a part of that. Um, So just let us know. Uh, This morning, like I said, Pastor Brian was sick, and he asked me if I'd be willing to preach, and I told him he needed to get over it and preach. No, I didn't say that. Um, It's always uh, a blessing uh, to be able to uh, be here, and it's always humbling, and um, always have a a belief. Uh, Actually, it was funny. This last week, Dad uh, asked me, he's like, man, I've just been struggling, trying to figure out... um, what I'm supposed to preach on this Sunday, I've been having really good, good times of uh, devotion with the Lord, but anytime I start a sermon, I can't figure it out, and will you just pray for me? And so I prayed with him, and then this morning I was like, you know, we probably should have just figured it out that you weren't supposed to preach this Sunday, and I was going to. And so um, we're here today, and uh, I, have a, I have a belief that uh, God wants to speak to us through his word, I believe that God wants to speak to us uh, today, that he has a word for us today. And so I don't believe that any of you are here on accident, and I don't believe that I'm speaking on accident. I believe that God has orchestrated these things. And so um, let's just come in uh, to this time believing that God has something to say to us today. Lord, we love you. We give you this time, and we just want to say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. One of the things that uh, the Lord has been speaking to me about over the last probably year and a half now um, is the importance of prayer. And uh, right before I moved to West Africa, I felt this need uh, to grow stronger in this area of, of my life because I was like, man, if I'm going to be a missionary, then I really need to know how to pray because, you know, they should know how to pray because they're a missionary. And, uh, and you know, now I'm just like, man, we all need to, <laughs> obviously we all need to know how to pray. And uh, the Lord kind of revealed that to me as well. And as I was in Senegal and in Ghana, it was even uh, more clear to me that I needed to continually to seek uh, the Lord in prayer. And one of the highlights each week in Senegal was this, uh, this time of prayer meeting that we had at the church. And there'd be a small, small number of us from the, the congregation, uh, but the joy and the conviction in their prayers was just something that was always, uh, it was always interesting and it was always just convicting almost to hear um, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Senegal pray. And they would worship, they'd get a little djembe and start hitting it. I mean, we'd clap and we'd sing and then we would pray and tears would be on their eyes and they'd be praying for the lost. And 
Every once in a while, we go around the neighborhood and we walk the streets of Senegal around our square and we just be praying for the people there in a, in a country that is 94% Muslim. And we were just praying over the community. And there, was a, there seemed to be a deep understanding of uh, our dependence upon God. And I saw that in Senegal and I saw that in Ghana. And it seemed uh, that the church there, anytime they felt like there needed to be growth or there needed to be revival or there needed to be a movement of God, their, their, first, um, their, for, their first point of reference was never to, oh, we need a better worship team. It was never, we need a new uh, program. Uh, we need better donuts in the... It was always, man, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and seek his face. And they just had this dependence upon God. And I'll be real honest, it's, it's easy for me, um, as I believe it is for all of us, to forget how dependent we truly are upon the Lord and uh, while I was there, <laughs> I had a real dependence because I couldn't speak the language. I couldn't, I didn't know where anybody was at. And I wasn't for sure what food I should eat or could eat. And so I just ate anything. So <laughs> rolled my dice there. But I had this dependence upon the Lord. And then as I come back into the States, it's like, well, I, I know the culture. I know kind of what we like to do. And I know, and I know, and I know, and I know, and man, Lord, I kind of know a lot. You, you don't have to. And I think it's easy for all of us to kind of get back into this place where we're like, well, Lord, I know this, I know this. And the Lord is trying to drive us back into the way that he created us to be, which is dependent upon him. And prayer is a realization that we don't have it on our own. And that, God, we, we really are dependent upon you. That without you, I cannot do this life on my own. And God, as I sit in this time, Lord, I'm just going to seek your face. I'm going to listen to what you have to say because I am truly dependent upon you. And people are always uh, asking for practical advice, right? And... And the thing about prayer is, prayer is not very practical, if we think about it. You're like, well, you know, I need some marital advice. Can you give me some practical steps to help me with my marriage? And we, we say, well, pray. Well, that's not real practical, right? I have to go into a room, as Jesus said, and pray to our Father who is unseen. Well, does God know how much time I have and what all needs to be done, and you're asking me to spend some time in prayer. Prayer is not very practical, but we need to be reminded that while prayer may not seem practical, that it is powerful. It may not be very practical, but prayer is powerful, and it can do things in our life that we might not have even thought of because the presence of God is there. God speaks to us through prayer. Prayer is fatal in our, in our Christian walk, is of utmost importance. Ian Bounds said, the most important lesson we can learn 
is how to pray. And the disciples must have thought the same thing because they're seeing the life of Jesus and they're following him and they see something about Jesus that's different from any other man, obviously. But one of the, I think it might be the only thing that they asked Jesus to teach them on was they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So there must have been something about Jesus when he was praying to the Father that was attracted to the disciples in which they saw something in him that was unlike anybody else, that he had this relationship with God that was unlike anything else. And they're like, man, we need what Jesus had. Jesus, can you teach us to pray? And after that Jesus goes on and he teaches them to pray and he says our father in heaven this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and so Jesus teaches them this prayer and this is the Lord's prayer and we've Most likely all of us have heard this prayer at some point in our lives. And so he teaches them this, but this is surely not the last lesson that Jesus teaches on prayer. The disciples probably learned so much just by watching Jesus' life. And there are a lot of things that we learn simply by watching people. There's an old country song that a lot of, I don't know how old it is, but it's a country song that we've probably heard called Watching You, and the lyrics goes like this. It says, Driving through the town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. A green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit the brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying, and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S, And I was concerned. So I said, now where did you learn to talk like that? And he said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants here. We're just alike, hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything that you do. So I've been watching you. So this, this boy, they get in this little, you know, Accident, not an accident, but he slams on the brake. The, the flames go everywhere, and this, this boy cusses, and the son's like, well, where have you learned to talk like that? Well, I've been watching you, Daddy. And that's the song, right? And you think about the, the disciples, and Jesus teaches them this prayer, but there, there's something about somebody's life when they're living it that we learn from it because what they're saying matches how they're living. And in this case, how Jesus was living drove the disciples to ask him, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? So he teaches them this. And then in his life, there was something about the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus prayed that was attractive to the disciples, that they wanted the same connection to the Father that Jesus had. And in in John, we see uh, that Jesus teaches us more lessons on prayer. Jesus is praying for himself in John 17. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. And he prayed for those who were going to be 
affected by the disciples' ministry, and guess who that is? Well, that's us, right? As the chain has gone on, Jesus prayed for us in John 17. It's pretty cool. And uh, we go on, and it says in Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And Jesus prayed so often that the, the writer of Luke took time to make that note that said that Jesus, not every once in a while, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And Jesus had to spend time with the Father. So what does this tell us about Jesus? Well, I think it shows us how human Jesus really was, that Jesus and his ministry needed to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And so he knew that he couldn't do it on his own. And so he had to be with the Father present in the presence of God, praying that, that the Holy Spirit would fill him up so that he could do the ministry that he had called him to do. But I think this also shows the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus was so in such a, a deep relationship as the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that he had to spend time with God in prayer, that it was just something that he was naturally wanting to do. And so it's, it's easy for us to either think too much on the humanity of God or it's easy for us to think of the divinity of God and we need to hold these things in tension that, that Jesus was fully man, yet at the same time, he's fully God. And I think we see this most when it comes to prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we're going to be at today. So if you would stand and turn into your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, 32 through 42 will be our reading today. And Jesus is about to be crucified on the cross and he understands what's about to take place. And so where do we find Jesus now? He's in the presence of his father about to pray. They came to the place named Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keeping watch and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Is it enough that the hour has come? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. 
Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Lord, we love you. God, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that he's about to come, that his hour is coming, that he's about to be crucified and take on the sin of the world. And what does he do? He, he goes into the garden and he prays. And he knows that he's about to suffer and he knows that he is about to die And what does Jesus say? He says, I am distressed to the point of death. Another translation says, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. That Jesus here is scared. And we think about this, and Jesus is, you know, Jesus. He's the perfect person, you know, the Son of God. He knows all things, and yet it comes to this point. He knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to suffer on the cross. He's about to get the beating of his life, and he is scared. Well, if Jesus is scared, isn't that kind of, isn't that kind of wrong? Why is Jesus afraid? Doesn't the Bible tell us not to fear? Was Jesus, you know, somehow not in right relationship with God because he was experiencing this fear? Is there something wrong here that Jesus is afraid? Is he not fully dependent upon God? I wouldn't say that at all. Once again, where do we come back to? As Christians, we believe that Jesus is fully human, that he goes through the same experiences that we gone through When uh, Lazarus dies, it tells us that Jesus wept. That he he felt this pain. He's about to get betrayed. He's about to know what it feels like to be betrayed by one of his dear friends. He understood what it meant to be um, wrongly accused. He understood what it meant to be to be taken out of context, not be understood for what he was really trying to do. Whatever you're going through, Jesus understands, and he understands fear. Jesus is fully human. He is God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. But we also cannot forget that Jesus is fully God And he knows what is about to take place. And he knows he's about to take on the sin of the world. And he knows he's about to die for this sin and what that means for him in the spiritual realm. Taking on the sin of the world. And we have him here in Garden of Gethsemane. And he is afraid. And we need to come with this grip to grips with this reality that Jesus was scared, that he was distressed, that he was overwhelmed, it says, to the point of death. And Jesus was the perfect person, didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was distressed about the things to come. And it's in this moment that we see the full humanity of Jesus. But what did his fear do? I think the problem with fear is that it often drives us to things that we shouldn't go to. 
But in the case of Jesus, where did his fear drive him? Jesus is in the garden, overwhelmed to the point of death, and it drives him back to the Father. And where your fear drives you may show actually who your God really is. Jesus is driven by fear to the place where he tells God, I don't want to do this. If you can, make this hour pass for me. Take this cup if you can. I don't necessarily want it. But then in this fear, he's being completely open. He's being completely honest. And listen, if we go to the Psalms and we look at Scripture, I think sometimes we're afraid to be honest with God and say, God, I don't want to do this. Or God, I'm afraid of this because, you know, if I'm holy, then who's going to say that I'm afraid because I'm just going to do what God says because that's what I'm going to do, right? But Jesus is afraid. And he goes to the Father in complete honesty and says, God, I don't want to do this. And I am overwhelmed to the point of death. And if you can, can you just take this away from me? Because I can hardly stand it. In one of the books it says that Jesus was dripping blood because of he was overwhelmed. And that's some kind of medical condition where your body is so stressed that you start to sweat blood. He is in agony about what is about to take place. And he's telling God, this is where I'm at. I'm afraid. I don't want to do this. Take this from me. And if he left it there, his fear would have driven him to, hey, this is what I want to do. And that's oftentimes where our fear would drive us to, is, well, I'm going to do actually what I want to do. But instead, where did his fear draw him to? It draws him deeper into dependence of God. God, I don't want to do this. Take this come from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. When we come into a situation in our life where we say, God, I'm afraid, does it drive us into deeper dependence upon God? Or does it drive us into a deeper independence upon ourselves, or a dependence upon somebody else? Do we just try to take the situation into our own hands? Well, the scripture continues on to verse 37. And it says, And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Now, this is just a night for Jesus, right? (laughs) He's afraid. He's in this point of agony. He's asked his best buds to come and pray with him. And he goes over there, and what are they doing? They're having a snooze fest. They're sleeping. Has anybody ever prayed and then fallen asleep? All of you are lying. If you, okay, there we go. Buck is the only honest person here. Okay, there we go. I'm starting to see. (laughs) I think it was last week, my alarm went off, and I was like, I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer. It was like 7 o'clock, and so I was like, Our Father, who art in the heaven, hallowed be my name. And I woke up, at 7.20. I was like, that's the longest prayer I've ever done. Hey, okay. <laughs> you know, they were, they were falling asleep. And Jesus comes over, and he's like, you had one job, right? <laughs> you had one job, I asked you to pray, 
You're not praying, you fell asleep. And Jesus tells them to pray to keep from being tempted. And what's the temptation? The temptation is that they're going to fall away from Jesus. When the pressure is on, we begin to see that words have little meaning when the temptation came. You see, in this exact same chapter, Peter is like, Jesus is telling him what's about to take place. And Peter's like, listen, Jesus, I would never deny you. I would go with you to the point of death. I would die for you, Jesus. That's how much I love you, bro, right? He, he says all of this. I would go to you to the point of death. And then you come into this part of the same chapter in the Bible And then it says that he's fallen asleep. And we can say, you know, well, if God called me to do this or that or whatever it may be, I would do it. But it comes to the simple things that God asks us to do of prayer and spending time with him in the Bible and forgiving those who uh, have done us wrong. And we can't even do these simple things. Peter said, I would die for you, but he couldn't stay awake for Jesus. Peter said, I will die for you, but he couldn't stay up to pray with Jesus. And we would say, I would die for Jesus. But we can't even spend time in prayer with Jesus. We can't even share our faith with people about Jesus. I would die for Jesus. You don't even talk about him. In the same chapter that Peter says, I would die for you, he denies him. And then it goes on. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. The disciples' eyes were very heavy. Jesus goes once, comes back and says, Are you guys sleeping? You know, wake up, pray for me. Goes back, prays the same thing. Not my will, yours be done. Comes back, they're still sleeping. Goes back. Praise comes back again, still sleeping. And they didn't know how to answer him. Like, this is embarrassing, God. I don't even know what to say. And so then we come to this this question in the point of the sermon where we ask, so what? Right? What What does this have to do with me? What does this scripture have to do with my life? Jesus wanted to do things another way. He was scared to death. And while I don't think anybody here faces physical death for our beliefs, we still find it extremely uncomfortable to die to ourselves. Jesus was afraid. But in his fear, he wasn't sinning. In his fear, it drove him to a greater dependence upon God. And do the fears that you face 
drive you to a greater dependence upon God or do they drive you to a greater dependence on yourself or any other thing but God? Peter talked a good talk. Talk. I will die for you, Jesus. But he couldn't stay awake for him. And we, we can talk a good talk. We can talk good, but our life gets so busy that we don't have to pray with our time to pray with our family. Our eyes have become heavy to what God is doing. We can we can talk good, but when it comes to sharing our faith with those who don't know, then our eyes become heavy to what God is doing. We can talk good, but when it comes to defending God's word, no matter what people think, we. We cower down. Our eyes become heavy. When we're falling into temptation over and over again, the things that don't really matter, we miss out what God is doing. Our eyes become heavy. But think about this. Jesus was awake the whole time. He was probably just as tired as the disciples. You know, he was doing the same things, and yet it's in the middle of the night, and he's fully awake. What is it that kept Jesus awake? I think Jesus got a glimpse of what God's will was. When we understand the will of God, we will have a hard time falling asleep. There have been nights when I have stayed up because I got a glimpse of what God was doing and I couldn't fall asleep and I had to just pray, pray for people within the church. There have been times where I've had to weep with those within the church and I had to pray for them. I couldn't fall asleep and I had to pray. I got a glimpse of what God was doing in their life and it kept me awake. The will of God can be scary for many of us because it leads us out of the place where we control things. But when we say, not my will, but yours be done, that takes us out of place of control, and we put God there on the throne. Jesus accepted God's will. He spent enough time in prayer to see it and accept it. And something that we learn from the life of Jesus was the foundation of his prayer. We go back to what I was talking about earlier. Jesus is there and the disciples see something in his life and what do they say? Jesus, teach us to pray. And one of the lines in that prayer is, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's one of the lines that Jesus says in that, you know, in that teaching. And as I was thinking about this, Jesus must have prayed that prayer over and 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 over over again. Lord, not my will, but yours be done on earth as it is in heaven, you know? Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he has this whole foundation where he's praying that the will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I imagine that Jesus had some really, really good days 
where there weren't that many problems going on. And he just is praying the same thing. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Where he had some other days where it was a little more rough. You know, Lazarus dies. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And he has this whole foundation (coughs) where he has been praying, God, not my will, but yours be done. And I think all of this time of preparation has led him to the point of Gethsemane, and he's to this point where he's in fear and agony and distress. He's, ble- he's sweating blood because of the fear that he has. He's overwhelmed to the point of death, and he prays. And then I think the same prayer that he has prayed this whole time of his life comes back to him. And he remembers, but God, not my will, but yours be done. And I think, church, that some of us think, whoa, well, when that bad time of my life comes, that's when I'm going to pray that prayer. Lord, not my will, because I will know what to do. I'm just thinking, what if Jesus hadn't been praying this way his whole life? You know, Jesus might not be a great example, but, like, (laughs) he's been praying this his whole life. And sometimes I think that we just think, well, I'm just going to live my life however I want to. And then when the hard time comes, that's when I'm going to make a stand for God. Whatever your will is, Lord. Right? And we sound like Peter. God, I will die for you, but we can't even stay awake for you. But then you see this consistency of Jesus where when he teaches him how to pray, he says, not my will, but yours be done. On earth, let, the, uh, uh, let their will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Get to Gethsemane. He's about to die. He's afraid. God, I don't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. Right? It's the same prayer. And I don't know where you guys are at today. If you are facing the Garden of Gethsemane where you are overwhelmed to the point of death. Heavy, heavy things within your family, within your own personal life, where you're just overwhelmed and you don't know where to go. The question is, is that fear going to drive you into a greater dependence upon God or is your fear driving you to an independence where you're saying, well, I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm trying to take care of my kids the way they need to be taken care of. You know, I'm trying to make money for my family. And, you know, there's certain things that I have to get done in order for this situation to be correct. And I know that I need to be, you know, in the time with the Lord and doing these things with God, but, you know, I have to get these things done. And once these things line up, then I will have time for the Lord. Where Jesus is to the point of agony, overwhelmed, and it drives him not first to, well, and you know, I need to make a plan with my disciples and get them prepared for, you know, what's about to take place. It just, he drives him to God and says, God... Not my will, but yours be done. 
Is your fear driving you to God or away from God? And I pray today that it would drive you into a deeper dependence upon God. Peter, he talked real good, and I think we do too. But are we even doing the small, simple things that God is asking us to do? And this is where I really struggle sometimes. Where I'm not, you know, this last week, I'll be real honest with you guys, I even felt bad for having to preach this morning because I was like, God, you know, I haven't spent time with you this week in the Word like I needed to. And yet I'm going to preach today. You know, I'll preach for the Lord. Oh, but you know, I'm not even spending time with him daily. <sighs> Confession, I'll throw up on you guys of that. But aren't we guys the same? God, I'm going to do this for you. Yet in these small, simple things that Christ has called us to the small obedience, we're not even doing that. We need to be back to this place that Jesus shows us on a deep dependence upon God. We'll have our worship team come. And we're just going to go into this time of prayer and uh, of worship. And I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to you today. You might be in a place where things are going all right. And life is good. I just want to encourage you to keep praying, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in those times of prayer and the obedience of God, you are preparing yourself for the day of Gethsemane. And some of you might now be in Gethsemane and you're overwhelmed to the point of death. And I want to encourage you, do not let this point of fear and overwhelmness drive you away from God where you're saying, well, how in the world did I get here and how in the world could God allow me to be here? Instead, get even more dependent upon him of, Lord, I don't understand. God, I'm afraid. Be just real honest with him. God can take it and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, whatever your will is, whatever you're asking me to do, whatever it is, Lord, I don't want to do this on my own. I can't do it on my own. God, let your will be done. You all may stand. And we're just going to have a time of worship. And if you feel that you need to come down to the altar, you can pray. The altars are open.